Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to another Disney vs. Disney Debates. I am your Grandmaster Zane C. Webber and with me here to debate the best Disney film ever are two great debaters, Alicia Charisse. Hi and hello. (laughs) You are here to debate Alice in Wonderland, correct? Yes, definitely. And on the other side of the table, returning again is Patrick Aiken. (laughs) That's what he sounds like. (laughs) Oh, yeah, hello. Sorry. I I have to introduce that. Hello. Yeah, that's me. Let the audience Um, know what you sound like. Oh, yeah, this is is it. This is as good as it gets. Um, And I'll be talking about Fantasia. Fantasia today. We have Fantasia versus (laughs) Alice in Wonderland. And keeping our debate as honest as always is the one and only Ellen Rose Sorison. Hello. So... If you're joining us for the first time, we are here to decide what is the best Disney movie of all time. And we're doing that by one-on-one debates through the entire Disney canon. So I each- was told Blood Combat. I've prepared <laughs> for a different sort of... That's after the podcast. Ah. Yeah, that's round two. I will sheathe my weapons. <laughs> Please do. Uh, so- do we get to use the weapons that are in our movies? Yes. yes. Oh, <laughs> are you sure you want to go up against me? <laughs> yeah, no. I got dinosaurs. <laughs> All right. So we will have three rounds of debate, one round of discussion, and then verdict. Now there are five criteria that I am looking for in your arguments. Number one is the memorable moments. What do we remember about your films, and what memories stick with us outside of the cinema? The message, when we look back, were there good messages in your films? And are there messages that we should keep with us going forward into the future? The movie magic, what about your movie makes it the better film? Uh, The magic music, what about the music in your film makes it better than your opponent's film? And the catch-all category, that Disney touch, what did Disney do with your film that is only something that Disney could have done? All right, so we have rolled a dice and Patrick won, neglecting to go first. He has passed that honour on to Alicia. Hi. So you will have three minutes to state your arguments with a Mm -hmm. warning bell at two. We will cut you off Mm -hmm. at one and your time starts as soon as you start talking. Great. So Alice in Wonderland was based on Lewis Carroll's books, obviously. Uh, Bored with her life and her sister's books without pictures, uh, drives Alice to long for a land of nonsense. Her journey in Wonderland teaches her that nonsense is not all she imagined and then she longs for home. So uh, this story is one that Walt Disney was so passionate about. He had been working on a version when he was only age 21, first starting out in his animation story. Um, There is also a version with Mickey going into Wonderland with all the cards, which is beautiful. And he was looking at doing a version with a live action Alice in an animated Wonderland world. Um, He then settled on an original concept that he wanted it all animated. He decided he could tell the story better and be truer to the the books and the journey. So he started planning this uh, this animated Alice in Wonderland. 
which I'm very glad he did because it's given us some of the most recognisable characters from Disney's uh, world that we have. You only have to hear off with their heads and you automatically know it's the Queen of Hearts. You hear, I'm late, I'm late for a very important date and you know it's the White Rabbit. You can see the Mad Hatter with his iconic uh, hat and coat and you know it's him, the Cheshire Cat with the beautiful pink and purple stripes. I've seen a girl wearing pink and purple striped socks and someone was like, Cheshire Cat socks, they have no cats on them but the, just those colours. The interesting thing is the cat in the book is actually – tabby like it's orange so we recognize those as the cheshire cat colors because of disney same thing with alice we uh, it's quite quintessential to see her in that blue dress with the white apron again that's disney the original illustrations from the book had her in yellow so there were so many songs written for this movie over 30 songs were written um now a lot of them were used in just small parts and a lot of them weren't. So they wrote a whole huge library and then picked what they wanted. Um, Dizzy, uh, it's the animated movie with the most songs in it. Some of them we remember are like Happy Unbirthday and Golden Afternoon. Um, Alice was the first Disney movie on uh, rental VHS and it was also the first DVD released in the Disney Home Classics that came out in the 2000s. Um it's the only feature film to have two attractions at Disneyland, the Alice in Wonderland ride and the teacups. Um, something interesting I think to note is that Dinah, Alice's cat, is voiced by Clarence Nash, who is Donald Duck, um, yeah. which I absolutely love. Um, it inspired also the live-action 2010 Alice in Wonderland, which was the first Disney live-action movie in a series of live-action remakes. Um, the concept and background artist Mary Blair had a huge say to do with the beautiful artwork and colours in this. Originally it was quite dark, quite dim, the, and then she had gone on a trip on a cruise and all of a sudden she was inspired. She came back with these. All right, well done. Lots of facts. Lots of, uh, yeah. All uh, of them correct. All of them correct. I believe. Excellent. Well. Surely not all of them. <laughs> what kind of, that's a huge percentage rating. Like, just, that's a, wow. Done her I homework. She's done her homework. All right. Well, Patrick, you will also have three minutes with a warning at two and your time starts when you start talking. Thank you. So um, as Disney's third animated feature film, Fantasia, while one of Disney's earliest works, remains perhaps their most daring and ambitious. It's not a traditional film, but rather um, it's it was planned as a comeback actually for Mickey Mouse um, that evolved into a program of animated sequences to some of the greatest pieces of music ever composed. Um, it includes Toccata and Fugue in D minor, which um, shows shots of the orchestra il illuminated in blue and gold, backed by beautiful superimposed shadows that fade into abstract patterns. And that's how we're introduced to this film. What happens is we have this beautiful superimposed silhouette of the orchestra, and then all of a sudden, um, the fantastic Deems Taylor, who serves as our master of ceremonies for the program of images for the evening, guides the audience through um, what is really quite a nice, palatable, family-friendly history of the pieces and the scenes that will unfold. Um, the film's imagery, even when it's not animated, is striking. Uh, the live-action segments um, use silhouettes of the conductor, Leopold uh, sorry, Stokowski, and the Philadelphia Orchestra against coloured backdrops. In They're kind of like a kaleidoscopic um, image, and they segue beautifully into into the animated segments. 
So each scene is its own beautiful set that um, has a really rich and unique tone, imagery, and also characters therein. Um, a standout magical moment which sticks in the mind is, of course, the Sorcerer of, Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence, which is arguably Mickey Mouse's most prominent role in a film. Um, and it's also become one of the most enduring images of the Disney canon, but also of Mickey as a character. This was developed to bring him back out of obscurity and to make him popular again. And that image of him with the... Um, the magician's hat, the sorcerer's hat in the robes is absolutely iconic. I would personally argue is more iconic than Steamboat Willie. Um, and really, we see him so prominently in that role and it developed his character as well um, beyond those very, very early scenes in which we saw him. Uh, Chernobog and the Sorcerer are perfect examples of silent character development in this film. Despite having no dialogue, the figures in the film are so well characterized through their movements and their voices Um as supplied by the music. Um, the film reels from otherworldly wonder of the fairies and nymphs in the Nutcracker Suite to the charm and chaos of the Sorcerer's Apprentice to the joy and sweetness of the Pegasus and the Centaurs um, and then ends in the mighty dread but eventual calm of Night on Bald Mountain and Ave Maria. This film is amazing because it understands that narratives exist within music and paints a portrait to support those pictures. It uses Disney magic as only Disney can to bring these stories within complex music to life for families. Um, I've never seen anything else like it. It's absolutely beautiful. All right. Damn. That is two very strong opening arguments. Uh, good. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's go straight into uh, rebuttals. So starting with Alicia, we'll have two minutes to tell us why Fantasia is not the best Disney movie ever made and your time starts when you start talking. So there was quite a lot of outrage from the classical musical community about Fantasia when it had come out. Um, the arrangements that were altered for these and the abridgments that were made, there were sections cut out. Now, Igor Stravinsky, please forgive me, fact checker, if I'm not pronouncing his surname correctly. I have no um, idea how to pronounce it, so you're fine. Great. Uh, Igor Stravinsky or Leopold Strakowski? No, Igor Stravinsky, yes. not Stru So he had uh, a complaint against um, well, the other surname. <laughs> um, Strakowski, the, yeah. compo the uh, conductor? Yeah. Yes. So Igor Stravinsky had a complaint against yeah, Strakowski. Not saying that. One of the um, so he was the uh, only composer that was, music was utilised in this alive when it had come out. And the Rite of Spring piece um, that was his. It was com sections were played out of order. The most difficult piece that he loved, the real um, quintessential moment of his piece, was removed, was cut out of the abridged. Um, also, there were a lot of complaints, especially from people that went when it was originally released um, on night at um, on Bald Mountain. That it was terrifying. People. There's even two journalists that are just like, "This is terrifying." So not just kids, but. Like journalists are actually commenting that as well. Um, in the 1960s, the um, Pastoral Symphony with the flowers was actually edited to remove two characters that were shown in a racial stereotypical way. Mm. So in the original release they'd come out and since 1960s they have been removed, but originally they were there. Um, also the Philadelphia, or Philadelphia Orchestra that played this music actually ended up suing Disney um, for the money. Uh, they wanted half of the profits of the – um, of Fantasia, they believe that they weren't paid uh, adequately, and we don't know what the result of that was because Disney settled out of court, which is smart because then it's not recorded. Um, but also, I 
you know, it's there's a lot of different music in it. All right. There we go. Uh, strong arguments, strong words. Patrick, you have two minutes to tell us why Alice in Wonderland is not the best Disney movie. So your time will start as soon as you start talking. Um, I can state with confidence that Alice in Wonderland is not the best Disney movie because Walt Disney considered it to be a bad Disney movie. Um, on release, he was quoted as saying that the film lacked heart. Um, it was not received well by critics or by audiences. It wasn't, it was, it got really a mediocre reception and Disney is quoted as saying that the film did not do well because it really lacked heart. The film was in development hell, as you noted. It got lots of scripts. They didn't know what to do with the property. They kept buying it and rebuying it till they got a script that would finally work. They put it out there and the enduring quote from Walt Disney himself is that it didn't work because it lacked heart. So therefore, I do not believe that this film can ever be considered to be the greatest Disney film because Disney himself believed it to be a failure of what it should have been. Um, It's also a mess, and I believe that it doesn't communicate the story of Alice in Wonderland, the book. They got the rights and they redid it, but they failed to capture what is quintessentially in that book and why it was so popular to begin with. And I think it's a problem with the text itself. We've seen this film adapted many, 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 many times, and it's never received well. It has never been received well. Maybe it's too hard to do. Maybe it was too hard for this film to do. That's what Disney thought, at least. Um, He did bring up some interesting, I suppose, arguments against my film that I'd just like to quickly address. Um, Suing Disney for profits does not make it a bad film. An orchestra suing for profits has nothing to do with the quality of the film. Um, Composers complaining that their music was edited does not make it a bad film. These are controversies that surround the film, certainly, but they don't actually affect what the film does as a text or its quality as a text. So while they're interesting, and yeah, Disney's known for being a bit cheeky and a bit stingy with their money and doing what they want, I don't think it actually reflects on what the quality of Fantasia as not only a film but a piece of art and a way to communicate art to families is. All right, excellent. So, oh, okay. Uh, very, very strong arguments this week. But well done, both of you. Savage, um, I believe you could call it. Yeah. Is is there any facts that need to be checked? Disney was not a fan of Alice in Wonderland. He thought the picture was filled with weird characters that you couldn't get with, which I feel like is a pretty hip term for Walt Disney to use. Yeah, he didn't <laughs> like it. Was not a fan of Alice in Wonderland. Okay. Something that Walt Disney and I have in common. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are, we shall remain impartial until the end of the debate. Until the end of the debate. <laughs> so we'll take a short break now and then we'll come back with an open discussion and a couple of questions that I have for our debaters. Uh, and then we will continue on. Okay, welcome to the discussion portion of our debate. So I have a couple of questions that I would like to ask our debaters and then you are free to ask each other questions if there's something that you think your opponent has skirted around that you might like to bring attention to. My first question is both of your films since their release have developed a cult following. Um, both Alice in Wonderland and Fantasia are popular now even though they were released decades ago, almost a century. Mm. So I would like to uh, each of you to kind of elaborate on why you think they have such staying power. So uh, we will go to uh, Alicia first. Not a problem. I think 
the reason that it has such staying power is the original works that it's based on, Lewis Carroll's books. They are, if you've read them, they're just incredible works. And the characters, there's such a variety of characters that we meet in Wonderland. So it is such a vibrant and continuously moving story that we, you know, get to meet all these different characters through Alice's eyes. Um, I also think it is quite relatable that long for escapism out of the day-to-day grind. She's studying with her sister and just the general needing to escape and longing for, you know, that a world of her own. And she imagines this world of her own. And I think, you know, we see other movies that do that where they fall into this world that they could imagine of their own and then decide that they they want home and they long for home and come home. And I think because we do see that story over and over again, that is quite relatable. Okay. What about you, Patrick? Um, I think that Fantasia has a cult and ongoing following because it is, I mean, when I was sitting down and watching it in preparation for this, the film washes over you and it is almost overwhelming with how beautiful some of the moments are and how well constructed it is. Whether you are, I mean, I'm not sure how the audience interacts with it, but whether, like me, if you're sitting there paying attention, every moment holds you and then shifts to another moment which holds you in a different way. Mm-hmm. But you could also have this on in the background and be listening to the music and also just have that as sort of this supporting text as well. I mean, to go through, I think what's also extremely amazing about Fantasia is just the absolute range of human emotion it covers through the set pieces that it uses. Um, I've already spoken about the, the Nutcracker Suite and Sorcerer's Apprentice, but the Rite of Spring, I found this quite exhilarating, but also scary as a kid, but I liked it being scared by it. This is the sequence where they have um, basically it's everyone remembers it as, as sorry, remembers it as the dinosaur sequence, mm. but you actually in the 1940s have the master of ceremonies come up, explain evolution to the audience. And then it takes you through the creation of life from cosmic energy down to single celled organisms, which then develop into dinosaurs, which you watch grazing. And it's, it's like that moment. Watching it is like that moment in Jurassic Park where Sam Neill takes <laughs> off his glasses when you see the reveal of the dinosaurs. But that is the emotion you have. And they're prowling along and then the tone shifts and it's always happening with the music. And all of a sudden you have this Tyrannosaurus Rex appear and the lighting shifts and everything is just so rich and clever in its tone and transition that you can have that really sort of scientific build up with the music that then transitions into that joy and discovery of life. And then all of a sudden there's this absolute shift and it becomes terrifying. And there's this huge battle and the rains begin and then the earth falls apart. And then it will transition into the pastoral symphony, which has been edited because it did have racial inclusions. And I am <laughs> very happy that they edited it because watching the new version, it still stands up as a story and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's got this really interesting mix of like, it's got these centaurs um, and then you get Bacchus trying to get everyone drunk and Zeus pun- punishes him by invoking Vulcan. And it's all happening with this music, which then shifts into a ballet between crocodiles, emus and hippopotamuses. And the constantly shifting landscape of the film means that it's always rewatchable because it covers everything that you need. Yes, I agree. Uh, that's something else I would like to ask you. Both of both of your films do have a very, uh, I guess, sectioned mm-hmm. nature. Um, Alice goes through very various sections of Wonderland mm-hmm. before she ends her journey, and Fantasia is split. Uh, very strictly by the different parts of different music that uh, it, it incorporates. So I'd like both of you to speak a little bit on how that adds 
to your film and makes it more than a more narratively driven or straightforward narrative. So again, Alicia. Um, The thing I love about the different sections with it is that it, sort of amps up the tension of in this Wonderland world. I love the universe of Wonderland. But, you know, first we see her with the eat me, drink me. And then we very, very quickly come out of that. Um, Each time she meets a character, there's a tension that gets built up with that character. And then we very quickly come out of it. And she's there's another and another and another. Um, And I also love that it looks at so many different beautiful I guess, aspects of literature. Like we've got the walrus and the carpenter um, and we've got um, standing on the the Tweedledee and Tweedledum Pum about standing on the head. Well, what is the name of that? I'm going to regret that. Um, But, yeah, so we, you know, it looks at so many different literature pieces um, throughout it. And I just, I really think it uh, adds to the feeling of Wonderland that it is so nonsensical and that it is so vibrant and it is so uh, creative. Like it really allows us to explore this vibrant and creative land with all these beautiful, you know, the bread and butterflies mm. in the garden of flowers is just so gorgeously painted. Oh, it's a little close to a pun for my liking though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about punny. you, Patrick? Um, well, I don't think... Fantasia never set out to tell one uniform story. And the only way that Fantasia could achieve what it became is by doing different sections and these different set mm-hmm. pieces of absolutely stunning music. Um, the film seeks to portray narrative through emotion, not through the traditional sense. And so it really uses the different musical sets as its strength. Its goal is not to tell a single story, but rather to sort of one, communicate many stories, to communicate the rich emotional journeys that would fail if they were tied down by conventional narrative structure, but also the breadth of the stories and the emotions that are explored by Fantasia. I don't think you could make a film that is as wondrous as Fantasia if you were to use a regular narrative structure, because you couldn't include all of these stories and emotions and ideas. And at the end of the day, Fantasia is like Peter and the Wolf on steroids. It's used one, yes, to tell these amazing stories, but it also helps teach people that music is narrative and then goes, you might have trouble interacting with this sort of music. Here's what happens when Disney does it. Maybe you can look at it Hmm. in a different way. And yeah, Chernobog at the end, I your piece about it before being terrifying, mm. it is. And it's meant to be scary. And I think that's absolutely wonderful because you've got this really raw, tremendous power and this absolute evil dread that would not fit in a film that included the other stories, which then coalesces down into this absolute harmony at the end of the film. And it all rounds up. And I think the structure has been carefully selected to allow this film to tell all of the stories and share all of the emotions and do all of the teaching that Fantasia does in a really non-patronising and accessible way. All right. Well, my final question is a fun one. What is your favourite character from your film? You have to pick one. (laughs) Oh, gosh, that is so hard. So unbelievable. Okay, so I've actually dressed up as three different characters oh, from this. I just tell us all of them. Uh, <laughs> um, well, Queen of Hearts was the first one because Solid. I just love how crazy she is. Yeah. Like she's so erratic, just one to the other, and I love it. Um, okay, so I also absolutely love the caterpillar. Just the who <laughs> are you? Like it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Um, okay, I think as a kid, I'm going to answer this as a kid 
when I was watching this, like the, for the first time, there was a character that I would draw on like when I was meant to be studying in school on the bottom of my thing. It was a smallest character but I just thought she was stunning. It's a white rose mm. that is in the flower garden when um, they're singing singing the beautiful song Golden Afternoon. It's a white rose and she's framed by these spider webs that have little tiny dew drops on them and it almost looks like a beaded curtain because she comes out at, towards the end of Golden Art Afternoon as this beautiful soprano. And I just love how in the garden he managed to create this little stage with this beautiful like curtain of spider webs <laughs> covered in dew drops. So, yeah, I was captivated by her as I'll a kid. I'll say one of my favourites is the red is is the bossy red rose. The bossy red rose. <laughs> no, no, we will sing Golden <laughs> Afternoon. It's about all of us. <laughs> Patrick? Now this is tricky. Um, I would probably say I think the most enduring character and what why this is such a fantastic Disney film is what it did for Mickey Mouse yeah. in his role in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. It reshaped the way that Mickey had Mickey's personality operated within the new Disney sphere um, and it really developed him as what he could be for the brand going forward. They invested this film for Mickey Mouse to get what they needed for him to lead Disney and he still does. He is. Disney. My favorite character is probably Chernobog. I was. Love the villains. Well, even as a kid, I think I loved his story arc. He's this giant demon who seems to be summoning the dead on Bald Mountain, and it's absolutely terrifying. And he has this overarching power. And why I like him is because he's vanquished by this symbol of absolute purity, the Angela spell. And as scary as it was as a kid, I loved watching the sequence because when the bell rings out and the pure, the tone in the music is so pure. And the waves of light shift over the entire scene and he's pulled back down into the earth and everything is resolved. And it's such a beautiful way to end the film because there's so much anxiety and action and movement and joy in the film. Everything is given time to rest. And that whole sequence for me, I loved it because of that. And I love his character because like all the characters in Fantasia, they act as narrative devices and I love his device in the film. Excellent. All right. Well, I didn't have any other questions. Do you have questions for each other? You don't have to. Just opening up the floor. Three, two, one. <laughs> Let's take a break and we'll come back with our summary and verdict. All right. So we have heard your arguments. We have heard your rebuttals. We have had a lovely discussion. It is now time for your one-minute summary of your arguments. And so, Alicia, you will have one minute. You won't get any warning. We'll just cut you off at one yep. and your time starts when you start talking. The thing I love about Alice in Wonderland is it has really stood the test of time. It's become more popular as time has gone on, not less popular. The DVDs are still available in almost any store you go into. They'll be in Target. They'll be in like even Woolworths and Coles will often have Alice in Wonderland in the DVD section. They are... Like it's such a popular tale even today and this adaptation is the one that has best stood the test of time. Yes, there have been lots, but this animated Disney is the one that we iconically think of. The music in it is beautiful. Alice in Wonderland, the title song, is a jazz standard now. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Score. It's The imaging is beautiful. Mary Blair's like concepts and background designs just exuberate colour off of the page. It's just, it feels so warm and beautiful. And although it may not have been as financially received well and um, critically received well when it first came out now in 
it was maybe ahead of its time because now it is loved and adored. All right, perfectly timed. All right, Patrick, one minute as soon as you start talking. Fantasia, I believe, is the better Disney film because at the end of the day, the animation is better objectively. The music is objectively more interesting and more varied and communicates more complex ideas. The intention of the film is more truthful and the film has a real purpose and actually manages to clearly and truthfully realise that purpose. Um, Fantasia is a work of art within itself and it achieves what it can only by the interaction that Disney and their animators do with the music that they use. Alice in Wonderland, while many people find it to be charming or amusing, is a bit of a mess. The themes don't realise well and you're left at the end of the film um, kind of thinking, well, what was that about? Alice in Wonderland is well marketed. It's a great brand. It is not a great film. Critics didn't think so. The people didn't think so. And Walt Disney did not think so. It can't be the best Disney film if Walt Disney didn't like it. All right. Strong words. All right, I'm going to do do some tallying, so I need you to tell me what you do like about the other's film at your leisure. I was actually so upset when I found out Alice in Wonderland was going against Fantasia because I love Wonderland. I love it. It is one of my favourite universes and I love this story, but Fantasia is art. Like it is beautiful. I don't know that I would necessarily like, I, yeah, whether I think what I think of it as a movie is aside, but it is like it's beautiful and the music is beautiful. And I love that it tried to introduce classical music to families. Like it was like this, like it was accessible for them and to look at art and to listen to classical music. And I just, yeah, I love what they tried to do with it. And I think it's gorgeous. And I'm really sad that these two were put up against each other. <laughs> Well, well, thank you. Um, I think Alice in Wonderland, I think it does. It's interesting. Personally, as a text, I am not sure how I feel about Alice in Wonderland, but I think it's very clear that it has been successful and there is something about it that continues to attract people. The um, actual colour design in Alice in Wonderland is amazing. The performances in the film are very, very good. They are charming. I don't. I think the performances allow the film to do what really I don't think it should be allowed to do. <laughs> the Queen of Hearts performance, you're right, is iconic. It has changed the way not only that people view the trope, but also that character. The way that Disney introduced that character has changed the way that that character can be seen for the foreseeable future. Alice's voice work is absolutely charming. Um, and I think that while it's not overly complex, the way that they use animation and colour in the film is wonderful. The design of the Cheshire Cat and the way he disappears and reappears is brilliant. It's simple, but it is executed well. And while Alice in Wonderland is not my favourite Disney film, there are a lot of fans, and I will concede that. There are people who love this film, and maybe I'm missing it, but clearly it has a lot of value. All right. This has been a really close one. I think we had a discussion off mic about how simultaneously these films are very similar but vastly different. Uh, And I I think both of you struggled to find too much seriously wrong with the others. At least uh, I, I have less negatives marked on my book than I usually do. Uh, so I wanted. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I had to search. <laughs> uh, so I want to start with one that is a clear winner for Fantasia, which was the music. I don't, mm. I don't think 
It's a bit unfair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think also uh, the interpretation uh, of these pieces as well really added to them and, yeah, added a huge family appeal. So uh, Fantasia easily took the, the music category, even though Alice has great music, again, things that stick in your mind, but the music is so much a part of Fantasia yep. that you could take the music away from Alice in Wonderland and still have a watchable film. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a very, I think Fantasia would be watchable, but it would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fantasia is the music. Yeah. And it, it's it in, absolutely it's is. What yeah. Disney, it's Disney playing music. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the category that Alice took out easily was uh, memorable moments. Mm. I think going through uh, each of the very unique characters and and the interesting situations that Alice finds herself in and just kind of the fever dreamy uh, way that it is presented, like you remember each and every part Mm. of it. Whereas Fantasia does have these broad, sweeping stories, but you don't you don't have these sing- singular moments that lodge themselves in your brain in in the way that some of the characters, like the Mad Hatter, the March Hare, the Queen of Hearts, I think, and yeah. even the Roses do. Sorcerer's Apprentice is maybe the one sequence that would match yeah. it, but yeah. I completely agree. It's a different sort of yeah. Uh, so when it came to the Disney Touch, it was an interesting category because. Patrick, you, you you did argue that Walt Disney did not like Alice in Wonderland, but you also said that controversy outside the movie shouldn't affect the text about Alice in Wonderland. Mm. But is it controversial to state that the creator didn't believe that the text achieved its intention? Creator well, as in producer, yeah, not Yeah, he didn't actually draw it. And animator. if you're going to include him as a creator, one of the composers of your piece. So this is, is actually a tied okay. a, a tied category. Okay. <laughs> I'm surprised I got away with the tie, so I'm going to take it. <laughs> uh, because I I did I I I I, I did take into account the controversy surrounding um, the musicians and whatever with Fantasia. And And I did take into account Walt's opinion because Mm. he, while he himself is a controversial figure, um, what he has put into the world is highly curated. Mm. Like Disney is nothing if not very thought out and and reasoned. So I think both of you made very good points, both for your movies and against the others. Uh, So you tied on Disney. Now, <laughs> I just want to say uh, Alice in Wonderland is a great story and a great adaptation. It's my personal favourite. I prefer Alice in Wonderland by Starting Disney. with a positive for me does not sound good. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer Alice in Wonderland by Disney than Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. Uh, oh. But when it comes down to movie magic and the messages portrayed... Fantasia is the better Disney film. No. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Wonderlanders out there. <laughs> I I too am sorry. Um, I think, Patrick, your arguments for just the the groundbreaking animation and the way of incorporating music into <laughs> into the into the into the into the film, as well as creating narrative from this strictly musical inspiration without any dialogue that really took the movie magic um 
because the animation in that is still impressive today uh, when you take into account that it is all hand-drawn, just that... Oh, even just the fish in the mm, Nutcracker suite is mind-blowing. Just the lines mm. and the uh, impressionist music that you see at the very start is amazing. And I think Alice in Wonderland has a very clear message, mm. but Fantasia has several very clear messages. Um, so it was just weight of numbers that took that one. So Fantasia did win out this week against Alice in Wonderland. But if I have made the wrong decision, which- Oh, yeah. Facebook's yeah. going to tear you apart. <laughs> yeah. All <laughs> those the Wonderlanders out there. I'll be for Fantasia on the Facebook. <laughs> it is, I think it it'll is be just me. Before. It will happen again. Uh, if you're listening to this and you disagree with me, Oh my God. Please go to our Facebook page. There will be a poll oh my God. and you can vote for Alice in Wonderland. Or Fantasia. You can vote for Fantasia too. It's a great film. You can. You can vote <laughs> Look, for Fantasia. They could, but Wonderland. Unfortunately, Fantasia can't be entered twice into the second round. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas if Alice in Wonderland does beat out Fantasia with a popular vote and it is one of the top four mm. wildcard entries, they make it through to the second round and they can have a second day at the table. Oh, my God. Mm. I, can't, I can't do this again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. Uh, it oh. has been a pleasure. And I look forward to hearing you debate Fantasia again. I'm going to have to do some research. <laughs> and thank you again, Alicia. Thank you. Um, it was valiantly fought and I was <laughs> I was hoping and I'm very disappointed that Alice didn't make it in. But I, uh, again, like I would Me have been disappointed too, either way yeah. this week. Yeah, I, I agree with that. With both uh, movies. Nick's the podcast cat is not happy with the result. <laughs> She's tearing the studio apart. Throwing baubles around the room. It's, yeah. I'm going to leave with scratches, I think. <laughs> and thank Sick you again to Ellen for keeping them fact-checked all the way through. You're welcome. Can and we if, say the yes. B word, but the B-A-S? Yes. Are you going to yes. call me a bastard? No, 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 but it's like you're like, uh, do you remember the Australian Democratic Party? Their slogan was keep the bastards honest. Yes. That's you. Yeah. That is Thank me. you for keeping the bastards honest. You're welcome. Right. You're allowed to say the B-A-S-T-A-R-D I was like, if I spell it too much, I'm just going to say it anyway. Like, yeah. uh, you can find us on Facebook. That is where the polls will be happening each week. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram if you want to reach out. We will be releasing every Saturday, so look out for our next episodes. Thank you for listening and keep watching Disney, everyone. Sorry, everyone who likes that was not <laughs> The world is a mess. War, famine, politics. Why can't everyone just get along? Yeah, like in musicals. Musicals fix everything. If people listened and learned from musicals, everything would be better. Music, lights and spontaneous choreography. What isn't there to love? If you want to learn all of life's important lessons... Or just listen to some musical theatre nerds wax lyrical... Subscribe to Musicals Taught Me Everything I Know, wherever you find fun and funny podcasts. Or at our website at thatsnotcanonproductions.com. A That's Not Canon Productions podcast.